And so with that, we are rolling into James chapter 4, and we will be in verses 11 through 17. If you're taking notes today, uh, you'll want to write at the top of the page uh, this question. It's a long question, uh, but it's one for all of us to ask and to examine our hearts. And, and so here's the question. Do you consider yourself to be above the law of Christ and the will of God? Do you consider yourself to be above the law of Christ and the will of God? Last week, we had a lot of practical steps in which you could kind of gauge where you are in your walk with Christ. Really, this week is more about the motive behind it. Okay, so it's going to weigh the heart. It's going to weigh your drive for why you live and why you do what you do each and every day. So just, just have that in mind as, as we get ready uh, to go through this today. So let's pray. Let's ask God's blessings on this message because those who know me well, you know this will fall extremely flat if left up only to me. So let's ask God's blessings now. Father, thank you for your word and that we can read it now. God, what a blessing. Father, warm our hearts if we have walked into this building today just cold. That if we have felt like we've just gone through the motions already, Lord, excite us through the power of the Holy Spirit as we read and as we learn today. God, if we have come into this place ready to receive, God, continue to build that excitement and that great anticipation to receive and to grow in Christ Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, where many times when we pray to you like we are right now, we already have the answer in our mind, meaning that we consider ourselves to be above your will. And forgive us, Lord, when we walk out into the world and we make decisions based on our own desire instead of according to your word, meaning that we consider ourselves to be above the law of Christ. Forgive us, Father. Reveal these things to us, our motive for living, so that we indeed can submit to the law of Christ and submit to your will freely and joyfully. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story of two teenage boys that were driving down an old highway one evening. And it was dark, and they came to a certain section of the highway, and there were signs that said road closed. But as they looked beyond the barrier, they saw that the road looked just fine. They had traveled this road many times before. So with music blaring and they're laughing in the car, they decided to go around the barrier and to keep going down the road. It all seems fine. I mean, the road itself does not seem dangerous. Uh, they've, they've passed numerous detour signs by now, and yet they're, they're continuing to move forward as if there's nothing wrong. They, they've looked at the situation. They say, everything is fine. Let's just keep going. And so they're laughing. They're having a good time. And all of a sudden, a car drives up on them quickly and begins to flash the lights at them. And the boys look behind them and go, why is this person riding so close to us and why are they flashing their lights? And, and they got perturbed about it. And so they stopped and got out of the car and they said, what's your deal? Why are you flashing your lights? And they said, you must stop right now. 
They said, why? We've, we've gone down this road numerous times. There's nothing wrong with this road. And they said, no, what you don't understand is right up ahead, the road has been washed out. And if you keep going, you will go right off the end and you will die. Those boys thought they knew the way to go because they had been down that road numerous times before. They ignored all the warning signs because the signs, as they saw it, were for everybody else's safety, but they were just fine. When I think about this story and when I read this passage, I, I, I see James being the one in the car who's flashing the lights. I mean, I, I'm sure he would have loved to have driven in a car since he didn't have that experience back in the day. But he's, he's flashing his lights at us and he's saying, stop, just, just stop before you go off the ledge. And, and that leads us to this question. Do you consider yourself to be above the law of Christ and the will of God? Because these two boys, as they were driving down the road, considered themselves to be above the law and above all warning signs. And, and, and we could come this far already in the book of James and you go, I'm good. I am good, man. All these messages I'm lining up with, all is well. But if, if you've gone through this series with us, and, and that's really what you're saying, all is well, man, no problems here. Check up, all good. I, I believe you're missing it. Because for me, studying this during the week and, and plowing through this, I've been heavily convicted. And, and I'm going to reveal that as, as we go through this, this passage. But when we read this passage and you, and you ask yourself this question, it's easy to go, yeah, I submit to the law of Christ. And yeah, I follow the will of God. Of course I do. I'm, I'm a Christian. But be real with yourself. You really submit to the law of Christ, and do you really submit to the will of God? James 4, 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor? So in verse 11, this is what he says. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. There's, there's evil talk that's taking place among the church. Now this takes place in societies all throughout history, most especially today. I mean, news outlets, they, they have their targets in every day. They're hitting the target again and again and again. And it's all based on perception, all based on strong opinion of who's right, who's wrong. And if you're in the wrong, then here comes the slander. And it's the same way within the church. James is, is, is pointing to the church and he's saying, hey, within you, brothers, sisters, if there's this evil talk, it ought not to be so. Like that should not be so among you. You see, this evil talk can derive from empty talk. Empty talk. Not having much to say or knowing how to say it. And so we target others as conversation pieces. I'm sure many of us in the recent past have been a part of empty talk. 
We're sitting at the table and we don't really know what else to say. This could even be with your spouse. Like you don't even know where to take the conversation. I mean, help us when we're in uh, a restaurant and, and you look over and husband and wife are both on their phones the whole time. And you go, wow, I mean, what does that communicate? You have nothing to say to each other, but then you look above your phones and then you go, hey, did, did I tell you about this person the other day? And all of a sudden, boom, it sparks the conversation. Your whole conversation is about someone else and what they've done wrong. It's empty talk. We have nothing good, nothing wholesome to say. And so we put up a target, that being another person, and boy, we start throwing darts. Boom, one after another becomes our conversation pieces, meaning other people's problems can be used as lighter fluid to start raging fires of gossip, slander, or jealous rebuke. It's quite the uncomfortable setting when you're sitting in a place among others and slander is thrown out there. Or you or me slandering someone else and we know it's wrong, but yet there's a type of joy in it, a delight in knowing that we're not the one with the problem. See, that's what James is addressing. He's saying, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. Don't make each other conversation pieces. For the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. You see what he does there? He says, it's not the person. It's not the conversation that's the problem. It's you feeling that you can have that conversation because you're breaking the law. You're going against the law of Christ, which we've already seen laid out for us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, and, and to love others as we love ourselves. And he's saying you're, you're breaking that when you're entertaining this empty talk. When we judge the law, we set ourselves up for failure, deceiving ourselves into thinking that we can override the law of Christ, making the law of Christ invalid and unnecessary. It could be that it's an invalid or unnecessary for a current problem or situation, or invalid and necessary, period. How could it be invalid and unnecessary uh, a period for us as Christians? Meaning that the Bible has no weight in our life. It has no say in what we do. We know just enough to, to get by in a conversation, but we don't know much at all about how the Bible can lead our lives. It's invalid and it's unnecessary. And you say, what do you do about it? Do we Google answers? No, you open up the Bible and you read. It's a broken record for us every week when I come back and say, and, and, and any pastor who stands up here and says, read the word. Because if we're not reading the word, we're saying, you know what? It's, it's, it's unnecessary. It's not always valid for my situation. And if we believe that, then we find little routes to take to where we can put up people as conversation pieces because we feel justified. We feel in the right. We've convinced ourselves that what they've done to us is wrong. And because they've wronged us, we can come after them. Yet the law of Christ says otherwise. It says to love them, to, to hold our tongue is what James is pointing out to us. 
So this word judge, it means to live off of our opinions of the law instead of living in line with the truth of the law. You hear that? It's, it's living off of our opinions of the law instead of living in line with the truth of the law, meaning our opinions of the word. Whatever we think the word says, that's how we live. So again, we have our excuses on the side of why we can have our conversation pieces and start throwing darts. But yet if we live in line with the truth of the law, we shut down these conversations. Now, I want to one thing very clear for all of us today. There will be confrontation in the local church. We will have confrontation one with another somewhere along the line. I don't wish for that. I don't pray for that. I don't like that. But it's, it's just reality. And, and that's why James is writing this, because this will be something that we face, whether it's one-on-one or at large. I mean, this can be a beautiful place. This can be a beautiful body of Christ, but it can also be nasty, divisive. And yet James is saying, no, come together and put down this talk. To speak against, it denotes denotes many kinds of harmful speech, many different kinds of, of harmful speech. Here are a few. One, slandering someone in secret, as we see in Psalm 101, verse 5 or bringing incorrect accusations. We don't know if they're true, but we feel like they may be, so we have the green light. Or questioning legitimate authority. An example of that is when the people of Israel spoke against God and against Moses in Numbers 21, verse 5, where we would question legitimate authority. And so when we begin to question God's word, we find ourselves speaking against the word. Now, don't get that confused with investigating and digging deep and wanting to learn. That's not what we're saying when we're saying questioning, asking good questions to learn and to grow, but questions as if to doubt and to already have our answer in mind as we come to the scriptures. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge. So James makes it clear to his audience, you're not him. There's only one lawgiver, one judge, and you are not him. And that's for all of us here today. However justified we may feel to open our mouths and to begin to speak that which is not wholesome, that which is not good, that which does not build up, we are not the lawgiver. We are not the judge. And so he asked this question, who are you to judge your neighbor? What a great question. At this point, and what is chapter four for us? I mean, he gets to the point, he says, so who are, who are you? As I'm reading that, I'm going, I don't know who I think I am sometimes. I think too much of myself, I guess. I, I have it all wrong. I'm measuring myself according to my situations, my circumstances. I'm not measuring myself according to the word. And so when I read this question, I think, I'm, I'm nobody, but yet I must think that I'm somebody when I begin to judge and speak against someone else. It's the same for you. I think we could say, according to Christ, we are nobody, yet all our hope is in him, but yet we're going to get into the week and we're going to have confrontation and all of a sudden we think that we're somebody. And James is saying, who are you to judge your neighbor? continues on, he is able to save and to destroy. This, this is the judge. So if we are to, if we try to act in his place, we will destroy 
godly community among us. See, only he can save and destroy. Yet if we try to take on that role, what we will do is we will harm godly community. In fact, we could destroy godly community if we act as the judge, as we act at all things rise and fall with us. Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So who is able to save and to destroy? That is Christ Jesus. Who are we to fear? Not those who can kill our body, not those who can kill our soul, although yet yeah, they can be intimidating and that can be scary. I was having a conversation with someone just this past week and all I can remember is I'm walking through a store. So I don't know if they were with me in the store or if we were on the phone, but I remember having this conversation and, and they said, you know what? We never talk about death, do we? Like we talk about death as if it's the, the big secret. We're, we're afraid to mention death to our kids. We're afraid to talk about death around the table. We're afraid to talk about how you continue on if someone were to die. We, it's just a big hush-hush in our culture. Why is it that we're afraid to talk about death? We're fearful. We're fearful of those who could harm us. And so we set up all types of parameters, guilty. And yet there are many cultures from the past and even today in present that they have many conversations about death because it's real. It's right there in front of them every day. And so when we think about those who could do us harm, all of a sudden we could find ourselves justified to come back against them. How dare you? How dare, how dare you say that about my family? Or how dare you inconvenience me that way? Or how dare you take me to court? But yet this should be expected for those who love Jesus. But if we never talk about death, meaning if we don't have a reality that this is a temporary life, that this is short. Teenagers, I know that this life seems forever long when you're in math class. But yet one day you're gonna graduate from high school and you're gonna move on. You may go to more school or you may go into the workplace and then you're gonna see that life just keeps speeding up. And all of a sudden you look back and you go, where has time gone? Because this life is brief. As we'll see in a minute, it's, it's a mist. We need to be aware of this and how we live our lives every day, meaning that we should not fear those who could harm us. But whom should we fear? We should fear Christ because he can kill our bodies and he can throw us into hell. You say, that is not the picture that I like when I think about Jesus, but that is the picture that the Bible gives us as well. He will say, you are guilty. You rejected me. And he will cast souls, bodies into hell to eternal flames forever and ever and ever, never calling it quits, always going. That's the one we're to fear, the one who has the complete authority. If we fear Christ, we will respect man. We will respect man. And we will respect each other and we'll be patient with each other. We'll be kind to each other. We'll be forgiving of each other. Because it does hurt when we have confrontations. It hurts when you're questioned. It hurts when somebody questions your character, why you act the way you do. That, those kind of things hurt. But it's so beautiful when you can come back together and you can have true forgiveness. Church, this should be us. We should be seeking forgiveness. 
This must be us. If not, it destroys our godly community. So for us Christians, we should not act as though we are above the law of Christ. And we're not to fear those who act as though they are above the law of Christ. Because those people can be intimidating, as we've already said. There are people who think that they're better than you. And there are times when we think that we're better than other people. We should not fear that type of thinking. We should not fear those type of people, but we should always have our confidence in Christ, no matter what setting we are in, no matter what crowd we are around. Fear God, fear Christ. Although it may not seem like it in the moment, in the day of judgment, Christ will separate those who are his and those who are not his. And those who are not his will be destroyed, both body and soul, into hell forever. So when you have someone coming against you because you love Jesus, just be reminded that this person will one day stand in judgment and they will be guilty. May your heart break for your accuser. May your heart break for the one who gossips about you. May your heart break for the one who has slandered your name. May your heart break for the one fill in the blank. Whoever has done you wrong in the past, may your heart break for them. You say, I can't find myself getting there. I can't. That's why you need the grace of God. And that's why when you pray, we are seeking truly the will of God to be done. Our answer is not already made up before we come to him in prayer. Meaning that we would come to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I can't forgive this person, but would you give me the strength to forgive them? That's overriding the law of Christ. That's overriding the will of God. And so understand this, this is an important note for you to jot down, that James is not prohibiting the proper and necessary judgment that every Christian should exercise. And he is not speaking against church discipline for those who need correction and healing. There are times when we judge each other. I mean, this whole book has been about judging. Look at the tree, see the fruit. You have a dead faith if you don't have living works. If you don't have works, you have a dead faith said that wrong. I confused myself. If you have works, you have a living faith. That's what he's saying. Judge one another. Look at the tree. Is it barren? Is it bearing fruit? And so there is a good type of judging that we can do for one another. It's accountability. But when it comes to judging one another as looking down and condemning one another, that's where he says, put that down, put it away. And so He's speaking against jealous speech by which we condemn others as being wrong before God. And this is what Kent Hughes has to say. Very good statement. Jesus does not forbid judgment. Rather, he forbids flagrant sinners from exercising it while refusing to deal with the sin in their own lives. That's strong. That's when you have the big old log in your eye and you're noticing the speck in someone else's. So we're to not speak as if we don't fail. And we're not to act as if we know more than Christ or that we know better than Christ. We are to test our Christianity through our faithful obedience to the law of Christ. There should be a testing, but not only with the law of Christ, but with the will of God. So I'm gonna pause right here just for a moment and say that for every Christian in the room, you ought to test whether you are a Christian. You say, no, 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 I have the certificate. I've been baptized. That, I passed the test. That's not your test. Your test is, are you persevering? 
Are you continuing to move forward? Are you continuing to grow in Christ? Here's the beautiful thing about our messy seasons of life, because we can grow out of them. And through time, there's maturity. And we look back on those hard seasons and we see where God was patient with us when we were not kind to him and loving to him. But yet we were able to grow from that. But has your life been a big mess ever since you followed Christ, meaning that you've, you've turned away? I mean, you acknowledge with your mouth, but you go on living your life as if nothing's ever changed. Christ doesn't rule in you. You just have him there to the side as that good luck charm when you stand in the day of judgment and you can say, hey, yeah, I, I, I prayed that prayer. No, we should test. I'll tell you as, as pastor here, I test my life, whether I am a Christian or not, based on the word, and I test it often. A couple years ago, 2014 to be exact, I was driving to work, got in a wreck, guy ran a stop sign, um, did a little turn, did a little flip into a ditch. Man, it was pretty crazy. One second, one second of turning and thinking, this is it. This is it. And I mean, it's amazing what all you can think in one second. Like, I cannot believe you just ran that stop sign. And man, this airbag smells funny. And wow, am I about to get hit again? Or am I going to hit another tree? And then this hit me in the midst of that. In one second, all of this going on. God, are we good? Are we good? <laughs> because this is about to go down. Are we good? How do we know that answer? We come to the word and we examine our life based on that. Do we trust in Jesus? Yes. Do we believe he rose from the grave and that he's alive and that he will return? Yes. Are we going back to him? Even when we walk away, are we coming back? Yes. Teenagers, I struggled with my salvation when I was a kid because I kept walking away. But the good news is I kept coming back. I would, I would want to pray again and again and again. Are you sure you saved me, God? Are you sure you saved me this time? But the telling factor was that I always felt like I could never get fully away from God. I always found myself coming back by his grace. And may that be a testimony in your own life and in moments of struggle when you feel like you're wandering, but yet you find yourself coming back. Keep coming back. And I think many of us can relate to that. And so, are you good? Meaning, are you submitting to the law of Christ? And are you submitting to the will of God? This past week, when we see a hurricane coming up the coast, or to the coast, and we're thinking, okay, here, here it goes. Like, it's category two. It could be bad. And all of a sudden, my man, Jim Cantori, says, notice the lightning in the eye there and how it continues to build. And you know what? I'm just going to put this out here. Oh, Jim was right this time. He was right. Y'all say he does fear tactics. He was right. He was dead on. He said, this storm is building. This storm is building. And my wife comes into the living room and she says, hey, honey, we okay? Everything good? I'm like, yeah, we're fine. It's good. I'm sitting here watching this building. Now it's a category four. Oh, we're one mile off from a Category 5. This is, this is perfect. Getting right to the beach. And sitting there, and I, okay, okay, if it, if it turns right, we're going down. We're just going to go, I don't know, we'll go to Disney World or something. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get down south. We'll just get out of here. Okay, okay we, we may, it may come to this. And this is really going through my mind. Not, not making a lot of the situation because this is, is 
horrific what happened. But do you realize if it had come through the Big Bend and what it did to Mariana, Florida, and what it did to Bainbridge, and what it did to Cairo, and what it did to Albany, I mean, it would have done the same here. I mean, people haven't been able to get out of their neighborhoods because they have to cut through so many trees. These things don't happen in South Georgia where you have a Category 3 hurricane at your doorstep. For those who say, my life's fine. I know the direction. Everything's good. It changed this past weekend. And that should be a sober reminder for us that it can change in a moment. Storms can intensify and show up right on our doorstep and change everything that you thought was good. And that's, that's what he's pointing out here. He, not hurricanes, but that how things can change. He says, do you consider yourself to be above the will of God? That's the question, James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yeah, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. He's talking about the merchants of the day that were Christians, and yet they were in a good economy, obviously, because they're making a buck and they want to make another and then another. And here's their statement. Hey, all's good. And we're going to keep traveling. This is my life. My, my life is, is set up. It looks good. And James, is, James knows better. James sees the persecution on the horizon. He knows that persecution will turn things upside down. When persecution shows up at the doorstep, there will be a measuring test of if you are a true follower of Christ or not. And James has a concern for them. He's saying, don't, don't just act like your life is made as if this can't change. So in the context, he's saying, don't live your life as if you control it. We do what we want, when we want. You see, there's a big difference between love God and do as you please and do as you please and say you love God. And he has a concern for these brothers because they're doing as they please while saying they love God instead of loving God first and then going and do as they please according to his will. This is a practical atheism. We, we want to point to the atheists who say they don't believe in any God. And they're easy to set up as a conversation piece, right? An attack. Because they have a lot of holes in their thoughts and they'll admit that. And maybe you're here today and you're an atheist and and you found, find yourself intrigued by Christ, but you wouldn't say you're a follower of Christ. And, and I want to let you know, I'm, I'm glad you're here. We're not, we're not here to set you up as a conversation piece. But we as Christians have this practical atheism about us where we say we love God, but we don't believe God. We say we love him, we just don't believe him, which means we don't believe God. Practical atheism is living without serious regard to God's will. And James has a true concern for the church. He said, there's a practical atheism about us. What is your life? And he reminds them. He says, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. How does that make you feel today? You're just a mist. 
Maybe you didn't grow up in a home hearing that. Maybe you heard that you were so much more than just a mist, but you are a mist. You see, looking out over a misty morning can be beautiful, but it will be quickly missed. It'll be gone. Wow, it's beautiful to behold, but then it's gone. That's our life. That's history. Millions of people who have come before us, gone, like a vapor. And he reminds them of this, the brevity of life. He says, who are you to be in such control? You know you don't have that type of control. And we know that. When we get off all to ourselves, we know better. We don't have the answers all to ourselves. We need God. So what we ought to say is, if the Lord wills or Lord willing. Now, what he's not meaning is that every prayer needs to be uh, stamped with in Jesus' name. I know that there's probably a common thought that may even circulate through here that we think if you don't end a prayer in Jesus' name, then you just prayed a heretical prayer. (laughs) Praying in Jesus' name does not mean we stamp it with in Jesus' name I pray, although that's something that's near and dear to me. It's it's not a stamp for all prayers. And it it also doesn't mean that when anybody asks you, hey, how are you doing? Hey, man, I'm blessed and highly favored. That's great. Thank you for giving me your spiritual disposition right now. But I asked you how you're doing. Like, come on, man, be real. I mean, that's great. Thank you so much. But if you, if you tell me that, then I'm going to say, amen, amen to that. Thankful for Christ that he's put us in such a position. Now, how are you doing? How are you doing? It doesn't mean that we're fake. It means that we're sincere and that we truly want to live according to God's will. And so I hear it said, hey, Lord willing, uh, we're going to make this move. Or Lord willing, when I go for this exam. Or Lord willing, wh- what are we saying? Hey, God is good. I trust in his will. What is not being said here is, is there's no need to plan ahead. So don't miss this when we read this and go, oh, well, I don't need to make any plans. I don't need life insurance or I don't need to plan for retirement. Those are necessary. And they're not necessarily evil either. In fact, they can be incredibly wise and beneficial. Highly recommend it. But yet, if you only rely on those things in life, there's something wrong. Our greatest hope is in Christ Jesus, not our insurance policies, not our retirement plans, but those things can be good underneath Christ and his rule. No, the warning is against arrogant planning. All arrogant boasting is evil. Arrogance. Whoever knows the right thing and and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Yet for the arrogant one, he'll make an excuse. Douglas Moo says this, people not only leave God out of account in planning their lives, they brag about it as well, proclaiming in effect their autonomy and independence from the Lord as if that's a good thing. I'm on my own. I make my own decisions. That's arrogance. For we have a tendency when we think of sin to think only of those things that we have done that we should not have done. Regret. Man, I did this. I wish I would not have done it. I hope I never do it again. How do we know this? Because the Holy Spirit convicts us in every complicated matter of our life convicts us to reveal to us what is sin. But 
What about the things that we didn't do that we should have done? The things that we should do that we didn't do. See, we, we feel bad about the things we did do that we shouldn't have done. What about the things we should do that we didn't do? We should do these things. But yet, we trust in our own will. James is pointing this out. And he's saying, so here it is at the end. How, how do we know? So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Meaning that trust in the Holy Spirit as you read the scriptures, as you gather together as a church, listen to the conviction in your heart. Listen to it and live it out. Trust the conviction. Don't look to someone else and say, hey, what are they doing? That's living according to your own will. So living above the law of Christ and the will of God means that I can speak as I want, do whatever I please. But understand this, just because we live out practical atheism, it does not mean that God ceases to exist. God still exists. And yet we're pretending as if he doesn't. That should be terrifying because we should fear the Lord and trust him at all times. So I encourage you to do this. Examine your life according to the scriptures. Be faithful according to the scriptures. Continue to be faithful in gathering as the local church, but be faithful in opening up the word and reading it. Plow through books of the Bible. When you have questions, ask them. And speak as one under the law of Christ and live as one under the will of God, meaning that be honest with the Lord. When you struggle with these areas, be honest with the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Have true repentance. You've heard us say it, and I'll say it again. Repentance should not be an old-fashioned word to you. It should be a word that you're rather used to and that you use often in your life. Repent. You can repent every day, and we should be repenting every day as we continue to live as Christ. For the Christians in the room, here's the beautiful thing. If you are in Christ, he doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. It's not based on how you're living, whether he loves you or not. He loves you. Your motivation is that he loves you and that he's given you love in your hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit to love him back. That's our position. Let's grow in this love. He doesn't grow in his love for us. We grow in our love for him. And no one loves us like Christ. For those in the room who are not Christians, who loves you? like Christ. You don't even love yourself like the love of Christ. Trust in Jesus. Put your faith in him. Hope in him. If you have questions, if you have doubts, if you have concerns, and you've been afraid to mention those because you're thinking, you'll think different of me, please, would you come and talk to us? Because if you're struggling with the will of God and why God's doing certain things, or if you're struggling with the law of Christ and how it's beautiful, please come have these conversations. If you've been born and raised in this local church and you're having these questions, please, would you come ask them? But if you're here today and you're saying, I want to follow Jesus, there's no doubt. What must I do? Confess your sin. I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus. I trust what you did on the cross. Save me. Would you call out to the Lord today and be saved? Let us pray. Father, thank you for our time together.
when we consider ourselves to be above the law of Christ and above the will of God. Pull us back by your grace. Keep us close. May we stay close and clean. Live according to your word, Lord. Thank you that as we study this book, our attention is constantly put on Christ and everything that he did right. Thank you that he did not fail. And Lord, thank you that although we fail often, you have made us right through your son, Jesus. This is our hope as your children, as Christians. I pray, Father, for those in this room who need Jesus. By your grace, may they be saved today. May they be enlightened. May they call out to you and be saved. For those who've grown cold, who are wandering right now, who are doubting you, who are living out a practical atheism. Reveal it to them now, Father, by your grace. And may there be repentance leading to a vibrant, growing life with you. One filled with joy, one filled with hope, one filled with purpose through every situation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.